All right, Andrew. So um, let's start at the beginning. Um, we've known you as Andrew Reiner from Game Informer for like the last 25 years at least. Um, <laughs> but where did your love of games really start? Uh, it was an old pizza place uh, in Minnesota. My mom took me there uh, one afternoon and... As we were waiting for our food to arrive at the table, she walked me over to this strange obelisk type of thing and held me up over it. And there was a screen and it was an asteroids unit. And my mind was just started to melt right there. I had no idea what I was looking at, but I was fascinated by it. And then she told me about like how you play it and let me play it. And I immediately wanted to do it again and found after that, that, Anytime I had a chance to play games, that's the one thing I wanted to do more than anything. Uh, whether it was at a friend's house, you know, if they had an Atari 2600, uh, over at, uh, you know, at a school that had an Apple or an old computer to play Oregon Trail, like, that's all I wanted to do. So <laughs> from that one moment, the spark, the fire was lit, and uh, it really uh, became my passion. And... Um... Did you ever think that you were going to be a writer or a journalist? Like, was that like ever your career choice or did you kind of fall into that? Kind of. So I was going, I wanted to be a comic book artist slash writer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like the Todd McFarlane's and uh, Stanley's, uh, you know, I, I, I really loved reading comic books as a kid and I was pretty good at drawing. So I started going to school for that. Uh, cartooning and learning how to do kind of comic book styles, you know, with the the po wooden posable dummies, you know, those dolls. Um, and then I realized that in my college class, I was probably the fourth best, uh, you know, just kind of taking a survey of, of everybody's work. And I knew that it wasn't going to go anywhere. And I firmly believe like anybody can do whatever they want. Uh, you find your own, you know, approach to it, uh, and, and that might take off. And yes, maybe I could have done that. But in that one moment, I knew that it would take, like, I would have to completely change everything, uh, try my hardest to do stuff with, with art, and I realized that I might be better off writing, um, maybe just being a writer of comics. So I, I pivoted right there, you know, like almost mid-class. Like, <laughs> I went back to my desk after an assignment getting an assignment from a teacher and I just started thinking about as I was drawing thinking about uh what I wanted to do next uh and at that same time around that same time uh I went to a Funko Land store you remember those mm, yes <clears throat> uh, I've heard yeah, about them quite a bit <laughs> yeah I went to one of those stores and uh one of the 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 employee at the desk there was only one person working was so excited because his magazine, he was in a magazine and it just showed up there like, <laughs> moments before I did. Uh, and that was Paul Anderson. Uh, he was an old critic uh, for Game Informer. He was the managing editor for a while. Uh, he ended up passing away from ALS. Um, but I just started talking to him right there. I was like, well, that's really cool. And he was showing me it. And I was like, kind of fascinated that uh, there was someone here in Minnesota that was doing something really kind of neat, writing about video games, something I loved, like my true passion. Um, and as we were talking, he's like, wow, you really know your stuff. He's like, 
you might have a shot at doing something like this. And I was like, right there, I was like, yes, I want to do that. (laughs) My first day of working in the store was his last day before he went over to work at Game Informer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we just stayed in touch that whole time. I'd go visit him in the office. That's where I got to know Andy McNamara. Uh, And those guys, you know, I think it was mutual. We kind of fell in love with each other. And Andy's like, I want to bring you in as soon as we have an opening. And uh, sure enough, that happened. And I was, uh, you know, within a year, year and a half, I was was working there. And um, do you remember what... Are there any of your early projects, um, your early stories or games that you got to cover? <clears throat> Does any of that stand out to you now, you know, after 25 plus years? Yeah. The first article I wrote was a two page preview for the death and return of Superman. <laughs> and that was, uh, it was interesting because a month later I went to a comic book convention. As soon as I got the print edition of it, comic con- uh, uh, convention in Minnesota and Dan Jurgens, the writer of The Death of Superman, was there. Uh, turns out he's based in Minnesota as well. So I showed him, and he had no idea there was a game. Uh, so we started talking, and then, uh, I kid you not, 25 years later, just this last year, he and I connected on Twitter and were, like, best friends with, like, the same person. Uh, so it, it, I've kind of come full circle after two decades uh, of being in the industry. But that one really stood out because... It was the first article I wrote. I put so much into it, probably more into that one piece, and it's terrible um, <laughs> than anything I've done just because it, it was something I wanted to do so much. And, you know, I wasn't still in school at the time, and, you know, I had to just kind of let that go and just go work at Game Informer. And I had no idea what I was doing, right, as a writer, because <laughs> I wasn't trained yet. I, I, I didn't get the mechanics. So I learned at Game Informer and like I was there mostly out of the passion of games and what I knew about games uh, since I've been playing them my whole life and I consumed everything um, than a writer. So uh, my early writing was really rough and, you know, I learned, you know, on the on the fly. Uh, And I think that created a very unique style for me. Right. Like I'm not school trained and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) it's mostly just from trying and trying and trying and failing and sometimes succeeding. And, and now here we are 25 years later and I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> are there any major changes that you guys have made to the magazine over the last 25 years that really stands out to you? Anything that you don't cover anymore or that you cover now that was um, like a big change for y'all? Yeah, we uh, when we started, we used to do review covers and then we'd do try to sync up a strategy guide for that game on the cover uh, in the magazine. So not only did you get the review, but you would have like a 10 to 15 page walkthrough of the game. Um, and that was huge. Cause it was like at the time be- our, our covers were hitting before the game came out. Um, so you'd have like everything you needed when the game hit store shelves. Uh, we decided, oh boy, <laughs> I don't know, 15 years ago that, what if we covered games that weren't out yet and, and maybe you never even heard of. So we, we switched that and that's where we really caught fire when we were debuting games. No one's ever heard of Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, stuff like that um, on our covers. Like people would turn to us left and right uh, just to see what was coming. Now, part of the problem was a lot of those games when we were seeing them were, 
concepts. They were, you know, we were seeing vertical slices of mm -hmm. their proof of concept. Um, and those, a lot of those games got canceled or, you know, the level we saw never ended up being uh, in the game itself. So there was a bit of risk there. It was cool to learn about something like EA's Tiberium, you know, that uh, <laughs> Command and Conquer first person game. Uh, but it, the, there were times where, you know, it's like, oh, that never came out or Snoop Dogg's uh, <laughs> Fear and Respect. You know? And Andy and I would see games left and right that were so early in development and we'd take chances. We we were going to do uh, a cover on Lord of the Rings, the White Council, Council and uh, it ended up getting canceled in the 11th hour. We wrote the cover story. We were about ready to go to print and we got a call from EA that the game was canceled. So we ended up having to do our um, our games of the year on the cover, you know, which was something we didn't want to do because we liked having our cover be something you've never heard of before. So now we're still covering games that aren't out yet, but you know, it we're it's more of a safe bet. Like these things are months away from release. It's a deep dive mm -hmm. into stuff you don't know about the game yet. Um but yeah, that's kind of our our path uh to this point. And are there any uh any issues that you guys people didn't respond well to or developers didn't respond well to it. I was watching a video of the tour that you guys did during extra life a couple years ago. And then you guys pointed out a, a certificate that Nintendo had sent y'all because of uh, reviews. Yeah. <laughs> like for Mario party. Yeah. We don't like Mario party. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the concept of those games is cool, but just like the execution of how stars are handed out and the mini games sometimes aren't that fun. Uh, if they could nail it, it would be great. But, you know, 10 installments later, I still don't think they've nailed it. Um, yeah. That, that one or Nintendo's just like, you know, screw these guys, but uh, uh, they don't get our vision. Um, you know, there's, there's weird things like we, for killer instinct way back in the day, we put a skeleton on our cover. That was one of the characters. We're like, it's cool. You know, it's a neat looking skeleton. And, we sent it off and then all of a sudden we started getting all this like angry mail. Like this is before email was a thing, right? Like we're getting like <laughs> snail mail of like people like, Oh, this is terrifying. This cover, you know, it's like, so we kind of learned the hard way. Like you got to be careful what you put on your cover. You don't want to put blood and gore. The skeleton was, it was extreme, but uh, I don't know. Some people didn't like it. Um, uh, so there's, there's moments like that where you, you kind of learn about, art design and and you know what you'd consider kind of pg you know you, that's what people see on store shelves you know you don't want to terrify them right there although i know our world is very lax on that right now you look at a <laughs> saw movie poster and it's like severed fingers it's like oh my gosh um, <laughs> but uh there's you know some games are you know the grand theft autos at the height of their uh controversy you know, people were very wary of that. And that's also before people were really, really paying attention to the ESRB. You know, they'd just go to the store and buy a game for their kid and think everything was fine. Uh, they didn't, really didn't know that there were mature themes and games were actually telling stories and uh, conveying violence in realistic ways. Um, so there was there was a bit of a growth period there for our you know community as well in terms of what we had in our covers. And um, as far as the the way that the magazine gets put out every month, um, how has the size of your team and the, the distribution of the workload 
you know, changed over the years? How, how small was the staff um, at the beginning? There was five of us and we did, it was saddle stitch. That means it was uh, stapled uh, mm-hmm. and it was 60 pages. And at that time we would never leave the office. We were working around the clock. We were foolish because we had three people review each game. Um, and back in the day, you know, it was the, the amount of time you spent with games was different. Like you'd play like a spawn on Super Nintendo and you'd beat it in four hours. And that was kind of the norm for a lot of those, those you know, 16-bit games. And then every once in a while you get the big RPG. But yeah, we were just burning ourselves out, you know, like just so much work. Um, and then, uh, when we got purchased by Barnes and Noble, we got more pages, we're able to add a few more staffers. Again, we're, we're working ridiculous hours. Uh, but then, you know, like Andy and I both just kind of figured this out as we went, you know, how to make a magazine and all that. And we knew it was bad. Like we have to cut <laughs> this back. Like this is ridiculous. Um, Getting rid of the strategy guides really helped that. I mean, those are time consuming for for one writer. Um, yeah. And uh, we ended up just having one person review games. And and since we've done that, everything's kind of in cruise control. Yes, we have the website, we have video and all that stuff. Uh, but I don't think I'm in the office more than 35, 40 hours a week. Um, yes, you play games at home, but a lot of that's, out of passion too, just, you know, like it's my hobby and it's my profession. Um, sometimes you'll get a game like a Skyrim after review and that ends up being, you know, a 70 hour week uh, just from the nature of what that game is. Uh, but yeah, I would say, you know, our hours are reasonable, you know, just people work as much as they need to. Nobody's really getting burned out anymore. It's 25 years later, I'd say it was about, 15 years ago, we really kind of started to hit this, hit our stride and, and having a really kind of comfortable workplace. And you mentioned earlier getting acquired by Barnes and Noble. And so, and I know that you guys have changed hands and y'all have been a part of GameStop for quite a while now. Um, How has, how were those various acquisitions? um, How did they affect, you know, your, your staff, the editorial staff and and the kind of the way you guys worked? Uh, when we were first for sale, we thought we were all going to get laid off and that was it, right? We <laughs> jokingly put an article on our website back then about what we were going to do. And after we were done with Game Informer, we got fired. Uh, I was like going to be a stormtrooper, stormtrooper number 400 or something. Um, but <laughs> they they saw that, like our company and, and the companies that were kind of competing for us. And they were like, well, you can't do that. You don't know what we're going to do with you guys. So we had to pull down that story. Um, but it was funny because when Barnes and Noble came into our office and it's just this dark, darkened room with pop cans everywhere, they walked in and we're playing video games and there's toys and all that stuff. You know, it just looks like madness. Uh, they walked in and the head, I can't remember, it might have been Dan DiMatteo of Barnes and Noble walked in and, and just said, this place is an effing gold mine. Uh, <laughs> and then walked out and we, we were just kind of looking around like, yeah, all right, maybe we got a shot. Uh, and sure enough, you know, they fully embraced us and, and saw what we were doing as a, as a really positive thing for video games and, and communicating messages to people in terms of what they should play, what they shouldn't. And just let us do what we did. You know, like we rarely heard from them at all. 
Uh, and still to this day, you know, we, we have no interference whatsoever from, from our parent company. It's, they trust what we do. That's awesome. Um, especially for a media company, that's that, 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 that creative freedom, I feel like is what helps you guys stay so successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it if, if it was the other way, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's all about being, uh, truthful to your readers and, and, and viewers, you know, in videos and you want, um, you know, it's $60 a game. That's expensive. You want to, <laughs> and you know, I've, I've been in that position where, I don't have a lot of money. I just want to buy one thing. You know, I think we've all been there and you put your trust in some of these critics and, and you hope they deliver. And I think we do, you know, we don't freelance reviews. You know, we want to know who our people are that are reviewing them. We take it very seriously. And something that's, that's interesting to me, um, like what, if you Google your name um, is there's a lot of articles that get put out as that are speculation about tweets that you send out people, people trust you and your word that you can, you, you can send the internet into a tizzy with a single tweet. Um, like the gaming side of the internet, that is how, how does that make you feel? Like, does that make you feel hesitant to share your opinions sometimes or? Yeah, it does at, at times. I don't know how many times I've deleted tweets. Uh, <laughs> like I'll have it ready to go and I'm hovering over, you know, publish. And it's like, ah, I better not. <laughs> At the same time, I do send out tweets just to to irritate people or get them, like you said, worked up. Uh, I, I do it about The Last Jedi all the time. Oh, I saw that one like yesterday. Yeah, where you and, gave it the movie of the year. Yeah, and they can't help themselves. So I just put back, I don't even read the responses a lot of times. I'll just be like, all right, have at it. Um, so yeah, I'm probably bad in that regard. But no, I like I like informing people. Like I learned something valuable with social media over the Spider Man cover story I did. Um, and you know we've used social media in the past before, but uh, with Spider Man, I really engaged with that community because I knew they were very passionate about it, and mm -hmm. they were kind of informing me of what I should know about this game as much as I was them. You know, I had uh, kind of this exclusive look at the game, and I shared my thoughts on it. But then they were kind of asking questions back to me, which I were, was relaying back to Insomniac to get more information. So uh, I think that tool, social media, when you find the audience, can be huge in terms of helping uh, journalists or writers uh, further tell their stories. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, to further tell stories, in addition to GameStop, I mean, you have other projects that you work on. Um, you've got your the Replay podcast, which is something you've been working on for five years or so, right? I think it's At least. seven going on eight. So uh, closer to a decade. Yeah. Than not. We took one month off, but we've delivered an episode one month in that full seven years or whatever. We've delivered at least one episode a week without fail that whole time. Uh, and how did that start? Um, what, what prompted that? It was, uh, I don't know if you know Dan Reichert. He's over at Giant Bomb now. Uh, mm -hmm. We were just getting our video online. We were very late to the party in, in online stuff because we're such a print magazine, right? We're kind of the dinosaurs <laughs> um, of, of journalism. But we were just getting video online, and he wanted to play Twisted Metal uh, for a video feature. And I was like... Okay, and he was just going to go down there, record some footage, and go back upstairs and, and write a little bit about it. 
I was like, well, let's test out the mics. Let's get some people in there. I think we got five people on the mics, way too many people. Um, <laughs> and we just started playing the Twisted Metal games. And we all, as we were doing it, it was really cool because we all realized there was something really special happening at that moment. And as soon as we finished recording it and it got edited and we had kind of a viewing party for it, uh, you know, just all of us gathered around in the office and we all knew there was something unique there and we immediately wanted to turn it into a series. So before we sent it out, we gave it a name. We made sure that this was going to be a weekly thing. I kind of probably overdid it, but uh, <laughs> like we're going to have second segments. We're going to have, you know, all these different things. This is going to be our show. You know, we already had the Game Informer podcast, the Game Informer show, but this was going to be something different because we have this huge vault of games. It's such a great resource for us that we could, you know, do thousands of episodes um, without having to do emulation or anything like that. These are the actual games from yesteryear. And uh, we started that. People fell in love with it. We have a very passionate community. It's small. <laughs> but, I mean, these people are way into it. Uh, and it, it kind of developed like mystery science theater. Like there was a lot of humor uh, early on. You know, I, I'm not mm -hmm. a, the humorous one. It's, it's those guys. I was kind of the one that was piloting the ship and making sure that they weren't going too crazy with it. Um, but yeah, you know, as, as the talent has come and gone, it, it's really interesting to hear from all these different voices on Game Informer about the games that they kind of cut their teeth on. Uh, I, I think it's one of the, the, one of my favorite shows on the internet. I know I host it, but uh, I just like taking dives back into the past to see how much games have changed or how some of these projects have kind of paved the way for the games we play today. Absolutely. I mean, and you've got great insight on precisely that um, and not just games, but really the industry as a whole and how it's evolved um, with things like the advent of the internet, which I'm sure was a really uh, for, for Game Informer itself as well was, you know, a, a game changer. Um, you know, we've got websites like Kotaku and, mm -hmm. and Polygon and um, even like Rolling Stone Magazine, Variety. They have video game writers and editors. Um, how did you guys work to adapt? I know you said you guys were a little uh, like dinosaurs in that regard, but what did um, what did you guys do to address that? Well, we started a website. Paul Anderson, the guy I mentioned earlier, he learned how mm -hmm. to do HTML. And he kind of created a bare bones site for us back in the day. It would just be like a landing page, right? Like subscribe to Game Informer. You know, that was our original website uh, was just kind of promoting our magazine and changing the cover monthly. That's all that really happened for like years. Um, and then we started doing some news and cheat codes and, and all that <laughs> stuff. And then uh, decided, okay, we'll put our magazine stuff online, but it'll always be two months after the print edition. So everything was super late. Um, and then we changed that to being daily. And, and that's where we really had to started staffing up, right? Like everything was um, print, 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 print. But then we realized we need a web team. And then we realized, well, having a separate team doesn't really accomplish much. Like they're very isolated. Everybody should wear every hat, right? Like if you work on print, you also work on online. You also do the web or the, the video shows. And I think that's great that we are all kind of in it together. And all of our voices come together in our morning meeting. We have a stand-up morning meeting where we discuss what's going on in the industry. Uh, and we kind of figure out what we're going to do for print and online each day. It, it, it's a really, 
kind of fascinating but wondrous system that we we have in place uh where you everybody instantly knows what everybody's doing uh mm-hmm. or what they'll be playing or where they'll be um and we're still lean and mean though you know compared to like the IGNs or anybody else in the industry you know we're still like just 15 16 people um whereas they might have that many you know doing their social media absolutely um and kind of as a, another industry that has grown within the within video games is esports mm-hmm. um and competitive gaming has been a thing you know people are competitively playing arcade games um but how I'm just curious what your perspective is on you know the rise of esports and kind of where you think it's headed. I think it's awesome, uh, and, and I know Ninja gets a lot of flack, you know, for some things he deserves it, but uh, I think he he's be- become a, a pretty good champion for the messaging of you know people sit and watch NFL games, yet they complain about people sitting around and watching video games. Uh, but as he said, it's like. Well, go ahead, go outside and play football then. Go play at that high level. Well, you can't. Or, you know, and it's the same thing for these professional gamers. I play the same games they do. I've been doing this my whole life, but they are so much better at it than I am. So it is kind of a marvel <laughs> to watch how good they are, right? Just how honed in they are on on just that one particular game and how much time they spend with that one game, you know, to be the best, to maintain being the best. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. And I, I, I really like what's going on with Overwatch. That's one of my favorite games for them to get these teams, you know, like the New England Patriots owner bought a team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for like 20, 30 million dollars. Uh, I like these guys turning into celebrities. I wish I could be a part of it. <laughs> I wish I was that good. You know, I, I wonder if that's where I would have gone if I was younger, if this stuff existed. You know, I guess there were yeah. Pac-Man cha- championships, but that was about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's an an awesome thing, and it's only going to grow. The thing that hurts it is there's just so many games, right? Mm-hmm. Like football is one thing, baseball is one thing, uh, but video games, you know, there's there's a new flavor of the week. I mean, seriously, every week there's there's new things that people are exploring, and you know, end up getting up to number three on Twitch ratings, and you're like, oh, is it going to maintain? Um, <laughs> so that's the one thing that'll hurt it. Obviously, we got Fortnite and Overwatch and Call of Duty. Those aren't going anywhere anytime soon, but everything else is uh, just up in the air. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's kind of uh, the rolling rapids in terms of, you know, what's going to what's going to hit and what's not. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite Overwatch League team? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, Soul Dynasty. Uh, oh. I have uh, I have the shirt <laughs> and a hat. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I did interviews with, you know, the first year of the league, I did interviews with, I would say 10 different pro players, mm-hmm. uh, from the different teams, getting to know them and what they're going through. And it, it just sounds fascinating, but yeah, I, I root for them. There's no real Midwest team yet. If there was a Chicago, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. Uh, my family's from there. So if there's a Chicago team, I might gravitate towards them and say goodbye to soul. But, um, yeah, they were fun to watch early on. and they were like the best team out of the first four weeks. And then the updates and all that stuff happened with the game and new characters were added and, and they ended up being maybe the third or fourth best team. So yeah, there's a lot of drama in that league already. Fantastic <laughs> to watch it. 
I, and I noticed that was your article in this month's Game Informer was on um, was on esports and uh, but cheating and mm-hmm. doping essentially. Um, was that something that you were already interested in? And was that was working on that piece eye opening for you? Did you get more insight um, into the industry than you'd had previously? Yeah, so I was working on that maybe twelve months ago when, uh, or maybe a little less than that when. When one of the Overwatch League players was banned for 30 days for, um, or 30 games, sorry, for um, playing under someone else's account to get them up to pro level. Oh, boosting. Yeah. And I was like, that is crazy. Like, what is this? And then, so it's like falling down the rabbit hole, right? Alice falling down Mm -hmm. the rabbit hole. You start seeing like all these sites that, um, catalog how many people have been banned in certain games and it's off the charts the amount of cheating that's going on and i guess if you really think about it a lot of these people are just at home or using their own gear you know these these isolated computers and mice and 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 keyboards that they can put in hacks they can put in you know auto assist aiming and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh and maybe the game will pick it up. Maybe it won't. But you'll just see like thousands of people getting banned at a time. You know, everyone just trying to get that edge, trying to get, you know, to the top of the, of the leaderboards. But I, the boosting thing's crazy because it's like, so someone gets to the pro level that's not good enough under someone else playing their account. Well, what happens when, when they're in a tournament or something like that? <laughs> Are they going to get carried by this, the rest of their team? You know, like. That just, it boggles my mind, but. It's like more questions, the more you learn. Yeah. And then, you know, like one pro player saying, you know, like he just kind of broke down in an interview and he's like, yeah, we were all hyped up on Adderall. I was like, whoa, there's like doping going on too. You know? So yeah, that was just kind of a, it's a two page article. It's not a deep dive, but it is just kind of a, a, something that highlights what's going on and, and the level of severity of it. Uh, and how the the leagues are, are just now, you know, these are really young leagues uh, mm-hmm. are, are starting to deal with this, these kind of epidemics or trying to cut them off before they really become a problem. Absolutely. And uh, there's another, the last year has been pretty he- uh, hectic in regards to news about um, studios and, and kind of the, the life of a developer, mm-hmm. or, you know, the life of a studio. How have you seen... Have you seen that type of behavior kind of like laying off massive amounts of employees um, and the, like tell, like the way that Telltale <clears throat> did? Was that something that you felt like was something that happened and now people are paying attention or? I guess I've seen this my whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, there's companies like Acclaim and Midway, they're no longer around. Uh, I mean, most of the developers from yesteryear are gone or have been transformed into something else. So, yeah, that's something I've seen a long time. And, and the, the hours they put in, you know, mm-hmm. the, the crunch has always been a thing. This is not something new. Uh, it's just people shine a spotlight, uh, continually shine a spotlight on it at different times. You know, the Red Dead one, they did it right before the game launched. Obviously, that's going to be. <laughs> a big ordeal. Uh, but this has been an, a, a big problem in video games for a while. And the thing that with studios closing is they put everything into one basket, right? Like all their eggs mm-hmm. into one basket. And if that basket, if that 
game fails, that's it, right? Like that's they can't fund the team anymore. It's it. Mm-hmm. They they made a mistake in the game and they have to close their doors. Um, so yeah, that's something that's going to continually happen. I think that's the same for any type of business. So right, like mm-hmm. if, if you really gamble with everything you got uh, and then you fail, that's it. And consumers don't really understand that sometimes, right? Like they know they have their favorite developer. They put out hit after hit after hit, but they don't realize that each time they make a game, they're risking all. And it's different Mm -hmm. for every studio, right? That's not, it's not always an extreme case. It seems like it's gotten better lately. We haven't had as many closings, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you see something like Telltale where it was like, oh man, they knocked Walking Dead out of the park. And then it was like, whoa, they also have like, these five other games coming now and they're all kind of doing the same thing and they didn't evolve their game, right? Like Mm -hmm. people kind of fell off. They thought they had something that was revolutionary and was the next big thing. And they did. It's just, they didn't adapt or change enough to really keep people engaged. For sure. And then other companies see that, that formula doing well and they tweak it in a way that's just right to take the spotlight Yep. onto themselves yeah i think uh, I mean, it's like the Fortnite, you know pubg it was like pubg 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 Fortnite, and then you know we've been stuck in that <laughs> uh, but uh do you feel like the spotlight kind of shining on that i just feel like it's been more talked about in the last year than it really had been previously do you think that that's going to lead to the unionizing that there's been a lot of buzz about in the video game industry i don't i, I really can't speak to that because i haven't done okay much. I haven't done much research into it at all. So uh, I really don't know uh, about that. I, I know there's, you know, I've read the articles like, like you have uh, in the terms buzz, of the closings you know. and, and the work hours and, you know, the working conditions and it's different for every studio. Uh, you know, even within Rockstar, it could have been one team offsite somewhere. You just never know. Right. Where one mm-hmm. boss is the problem or, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever is best for the industry. That's what I hope, uh, or best for individual development teams and, and the people within them. I, I hope they'd make the right choices and figure out the best path forward. But I think it is good that the spotlight is periodically, I would turn, I would say it's more like a flashlight that's on, off, on, off, right? Like I think, uh, I think it's great that it's turned on periodically to remind people, right? Like we are humans we have families, we have lives, you cannot, you know, destroy those in the process of hopefully making a great game. Absolutely. Uh, People come first. A hundred percent. If you had to give advice to people to, you know, to young people or even older people who want to pursue a job in doing game reviews or, you know, trying to write news, what would you say? Uh, work your butt off in terms of just try, try again. Uh, you're going to fail a lot, but just keep writing. Uh, you know, keep making videos. You're going to get better as you go. Like I said, I've been doing this 25 years and I'm still learning and I feel like I'm still getting better. Um, you will never ever hit the ceiling, no matter you know how great you are or whatever your your grades are in school. There's always room to improve. Someone always finds a way to innovate or change the game. Technology changes. You have to adapt to all that. And that's all a learning process. So don't feel like you you submit one 
you know, a freelance assignment and it gets turned down, that that's the end. Like you got to keep mm-hmm. trying. I would also say, you know, like I went, I had a social channel that was in person with getting to know someone in the industry, but use social media. That is such a valuable tool. Get to know these other writers, reach out to them, uh, you know, tweet back to them and you'll be surprised how often these people will write back. A, a lot of the writers in the industry that I know are great people uh, and they really do want to help people and help the industry itself uh, get better and grow. So don't be shy, like seriously, get yourself out there and, and just keep trying because it might take years. It, you might luck out right away. Uh, but most people I've given this advice to have uh, gotten jobs in the industry uh, our internship program, uh, we've placed so many people. It, it's ridiculous. I look all across mm-hmm. the industry, uh, whether it's at like PlayStation or IGN or GameSpot, and uh, I, I, I see our former interns flourishing. Uh, so just keep trying and, and you might make it, if, if, especially if that's what you really love to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on my show, Andrew. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll have show notes for today's episode up on cakebites.com. Don't forget to like and follow the show on social media so you can keep up with updates as well as on Twitch so you can get updates when I finally go live. Um, And... That's everything. See y'all next time.